Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, well, I'm going to pray, and uh, then I'm going to take a look at some Christmas passages, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do thank you again for this day, and Lord, just now before uh, we begin looking at your word, I just want to ask now, um, Lord, that your spirit would be truly present in this room. Lord, now we love the, the singing, we love praising you, Lord, we love uh, thinking about all these things that are connected with Christmas, and even for many of us, I know even looking beyond that to the cross is just such a joy. Lord, I pray now that you'd help me as I look at your word and present your word, that Lord, I'd be able, to be able to extend that joy. Lord, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, God, I would speak words that are true this morning. In your name I pray, amen. All right, I'd like to share, and before I share, I want, to, I want you to know that my wife pointed out to me uh, last time I was looking at this, I've started a lot of sermons off by saying this is one of my favorite passages. And uh, she stopped, she's not believing me anymore. And I told her, well, they're all my favorites. So, um, so I, that's actually what I have in my notes. I'd like to start with one of my favorite passages. And this really is one of my favorites. And it may not sound very Christmas-like initially at first, but we'll get there. The passage is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a passage by Paul the Apostle. And if you've been with us through Sunday mornings, we've been talking about Paul the Apostle and the travels that he went on. And it's written to the church that's at Corinth. And if you know the church at Corinth, they had a lot of issues. They had a lot of troubles. It's written by Paul, who just after this passage, when I share it, just after this, he actually says that he didn't come to them with words of eloquent wisdom. He describes his speech as trembling. In my mind, I think Paul was probably a great speaker, but when he talks about himself, he doesn't talk about it that way. He talks about himself like he struggled to speak the preaching part. So this passage gives me hope. It gives me hope as a pastor. Um, throw in there a little side note. Uh, I, when I, when I went, first went to college, the first class that I almost failed was speech. I hated getting in front of people to talk. Weird, isn't it? Um, in fact, in high school, that was my least favorite. If you said, what's your least favorite class? I had to take a speech class in high school. Hated it. Hated getting in front of people at the talk. Just, I don't get it. Never wanted to do that. And now here I am. Weird, huh? It's because of this passage that I'm getting ready to share you that gave me that, that step of hope to go from not doing this to doing this. Okay. The passage, like I said, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The first part of this that I read through you is going to be laying a bit of a groundwork, okay? So I'm going to emphasize the one, so I may go kind of quickly through a couple of them. I don't want to skip them. Verse 18, and I'll have it up here for you. It says this, for the word of the cross, okay? And when you hear that word of the cross, just think, any and every aspect of the redemption story from Christmas to the cross, from creation to Christ's return. It, the word of the cross is God's story. And right at the center of his story is the cross. So the word of the cross, when Paul says that he's talking about the gospel message, the good news, 
He says, the word of the cross is folly, foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's folly, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. This story, to many, when you dig right down into it, is ridiculous to some. They like parts of it, but some of it they go, yeah, you lost me. He goes on here, he says this, he says, for it is written, and this is Isaiah, he says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That's Isaiah chapter 29. Then he says, where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So you see what he's doing here? He's kind of laying out this, this foolishness, wisdom, that the, the wisdom of the world is actually foolishness. The things that seem foolish to the world is the wisdom and the power of God. He goes on here and he says this, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Very important thought right there, by the way. The world does not know God because we're so smart and we've figured it out. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. I'm reminded of this when I start to share what I believe with others who don't. Like we'll be on the same page for a little bit and then I'll start to veer into the word of the cross and the things of God and I'll get a look. I've seen it when I teach my math classes too, right? You know that look? You know that look, don't you? What? <laughs> um, I've had this happen on several occasions. I want to share one that uh, Charity uh, shared last week in uh, testimony time. She was talking to a, a teacher at the school that was a chemistry teacher, and I, I may jump in if I start to share the story wrong. But uh, as she was talking with this person, this chemistry teacher was sharing all these amazing things about the electrons and all this stuff, and, and she was just going, it's amazing. And then she jumped right from that, looking at this amazing creation to God. And I don't know for sure, but I think you may have gotten a look a little bit like this. We know that look. It's not that much different today as it was back then. Paul writes this next. He says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So if you ignore the Jews and Greeks part for just a moment, if you've been with us through Acts, you'll know why Paul is talking about that. But even today, this is true. Some people, they want a sign. Show me some, boom, sign. Then I'll believe it. Some people say, prove it to me. Right? Prove it to me. Show me through science. Now, I want you to know the thing about this is I love science. And when I look at it, I, I get even more excited about who God is. I just marvel at his creation. So this does not leave those things behind, but what it does is so much more. He goes on, I want to get to the part where my hope is at. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And now I'm getting ready to get to my favorite part. He says this to this Corinthian church, and I'm saying it to you and to myself today. For consider your calling, brothers, sisters. Not many of you 
we're wise according to worldly standards. You know, you might be sitting there going, ouch. Some of you going, true. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And here it is. This is the verse that helped me step from not being up here to being up here willing to preach. I believed this was true. I still do. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I get up here each and every week when I get up here and I'm, I, I bank on this. Because I got to be honest, I'm a knucklehead. But I bank on this. I say, well, God, you said this. I hope it's true. And the longer I do this, the more I go, it's true. God does this. Now, I want to put to the test a little bit further. And so I've selected some of you as representatives of all knuckleheads. And you were probably thinking before I handed those out that you were a privileged select few. And you're thinking, oh, I, he must have picked me because I'm this. No. Sorry. We're putting this to the test. Does God really choose what is foolish in the world to confound the wise? I'm going to start off with the second knucklehead of the church, Pastor John. And uh, he's going to read a verse. Now, wait, wait, before he reads, I'm sorry. Uh, as, as he reads, okay, so each one of these little knucklehead chunks from these fools in the room, right, you're going to hear the first part. The first one's going to read. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you hear it, you go, yeah. In fact, you could probably be talking about that particular part with anybody out in the world. And they'd go, yeah, I'm on board with this. But then I'm going to have the second person read. And as they complete that thought, that's where you start to get that look. And I'm going to tell you right now what Paul said. that The word of the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But here's what's, here's what's interesting, even as I'm doing this today, as this happens, if you're in this room and you've banked, every, you've put all your eggs in the one, in the Jesus basket, and you're like, I'm banking everything on Jesus, you're going to hear these things, and it is going to be exactly that. You're going to hear it, and it's not going to be foolishness. You're going to go, hmm. Some of these I won't even have to explain to you. You'll just hear it, and you'll go, oh, God is amazing. So knucklehead number one, Pastor John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so hold on to that thought. In the beginning was the Word. Sorry, let's put it up there for you. That's what this little piece of paper looks like. I made the letters big so everybody could read. Uh, so uh, especially some of the uh, older knuckleheads in the room that I gave it to, I needed to make large font. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Okay, so the Word... Revelation of God in the beginning was the Word, right? So the Word is God. Okay, that's, I get it. That's what John is talking about. He's identified who, and so he's calling God the Word. Okay? Knucklehead number two, uh, my father-in-law. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that for a second. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. John goes on to say, and the Word 
became flesh and then dwelt among us? What an amazing God that he did that. That he loved that and came here and walked around with us. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is a great high priest unlike any other who understands our infirmities, our weaknesses. And when you talk to Jesus, and you're talking about what you're going through in this life, in this world, he gets it not just because he's God, that would be enough, but he gets it also experientially because he walked around here. There's nothing that you can go to him and say that he doesn't go, get it. I understand. For us who are being saved, that's the power of God. For those who are of the world, that's foolishness. God became a human. How is that even possible? Let's take a look at the next one here. Number three. Who was knucklehead number three? Oh, Lucinda. Oh, now, see, Christmas time, that's a piece of cake, right? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And I'm going to tell you right now, people love the idea of the, the Savior was born. So they're, they're kind of getting over that hump of the Word became flesh, and they're not really for sure about that. But yeah, the Savior is Lord. And He was born here today. He came. Knucklehead number four, my sister. Now, you've heard this so often that it may not seem as crazy to you as it actually is. The God of the universe who created all things and holds all things together, when he came to earth and was born as a baby, he wasn't born in a mansion, in a royal home. He was born in a shed, a cave, we think the manger was. Talk about humility. The humility displayed in our God. Is that not amazing? The world goes, eh. We go, man, that's the power of God. That he would, do, he would go to that length. He didn't just come here and dwell among us. He came here and dwelt among us in the lowest of circumstances. Knucklehead number five. I think that's Austin. Okay, so now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So maybe you're getting on board with all these things. You're like, okay, we're, we're getting there. The Word became flesh. I'm not for sure about that one. Hey, he was born in a lowly state, displaying God's humility, His greatness, His, his humility. And you get to this part. Now the, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Okay, so how did it take place? And then knucklehead number six, my own son. Sorry. Now, I'm not a biology teacher. I'm a math teacher. I only got one chuckle out of that. Read, read that again. I'll read it for you. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, engaged, before they... Well, that's already foolishness to the world. Wait, they, didn't, they hadn't done that yet? Yep. 
Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Miraculous. This child. We've seen now already, now we're starting to see this picture laid out for us. God become flesh, the power of God even making that possible, the humility of God. And we're seeing this worked out in a miraculous way. I want to share with you one more that's not specifically Christmas, and it's one that you know. But I think that if you think about the connection between this one and and Christmas, you'll recognize, wait, I, I, I see it. Knucklehead number seven, I believe that's Denise. Sorry, Danny. Okay, who's heard this one before? For God so loved the world, and we love that he loved the world. Don't you love that God loved the world? Everybody likes that part. God, lo- We love that. My final knucklehead of the day, brother-in-law Jeff. Wait a minute. God so loved the world. That could have gone on to say, he just said, it's okay, everybody, come on in. But God is a righteous, just judge. And there was an issue of sin that needed to be paid for and taken care of. So God, with all these other verses we've built up into this one, this one explains what's going on. He so loved the world that in order to take care of the penalty of sin, he sends his own son, Jesus Christ, born into this world in a humble state, grows up in obedience to the Father, is crucified on a cross unjustly, but in the middle of that taking the penalty of God's wrath for sin, your sin. And then it says this, that whoever... Whoever. Knuckleheads of the world unite. Whoever believes in him. Not believes like little ones might believe in Santa. You understand that, right? Believes in him. You're putting everything in him. Your eternity depends on it. And so you're, you're trusting in him and you're, you're ceasing. You're, you're no longer going to say, I'm depending on the fact that I'm hoping that God is going to put a scale up there and I've been good enough that it's all going to balance out. You realize, if you haven't already, I hope that's not the case anyway. And then you find out this truth, this good news, this gospel, this word of the cross, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. This passage, by the way, a lot of people know this part, but it goes on and says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I think that's what most of us would have done if we were God and we had created a world and they had rebelled and we decided to send our son. We'd send our son and we'd say, go in and clean up this mess. Take him out. Let's start over. God did not do that. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, I'm going to stop right there too. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. 
Whoever doesn't believe is condemned already. But whoever believes in him is not condemned. Let me go back a few verses in Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you in this room are wise. I know that some of you may have thought, I probably should have been picked for the knucklehead readings. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Qualifications at Christmas to talk about what Christmas is about. Have you met those? Absolutely. God chose what is low and despised, Paul continues on. Low and despised in the world, even things that are not. You ever feel like nothing in this world? Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being, and this is why this is so important, I believe that God has decided to work this way because it not only displays the greatness, it it displays the word of the cross in in form. See, if I got up here and I was some amazing speaker and super eloquent and I had it all put together, that would diminish the greatness of the cross. But because some of you have met me and can vouch for it, and if you're not for sure, ask my mother-in-law or my mom. I'm an idiot sometimes, a lot of times. It displays even better the greatness of the cross. If I can get up here and tell you about Jesus and about what he's done, this guy, sometimes I wish some of you could have known me back a long time ago. If I would have told you when I was in my early 20s, I'm going to be a preacher one day, you'd be like, God is not going to let that happen, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) But the really cool thing about it is, this is exactly how God works. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. See, I'm banking everything on it. Even right now, when I'm talking to you, I'm banking on this. In fact, I'm, I'm banking on the hope that as I share these things, I don't have to get this whole thing perfect because I, I, I want to, I try to a lot of times. But I know it doesn't really depend on that. And I know that it's possible, in fact, it's a great reality that some of you in this room, as I'm sharing these things, even if I say it imperfectly, if I don't click the slides at the right time, if I mess up along the way, I, I know that because this is how God works, some of you are going to hear these words and you're going you're to hear the power of God. You can hear the power of God. For the word of the cross, this is that first verse I read. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. I also know and hope that there may be some of you in this room that before this moment, when you heard the story of the cross, you were okay with it. Give or take. 
But I, because I believe this is true, I believe that some of you, even today as we were sharing and I had some of you read those passages, and maybe it wasn't even when I was saying it, maybe it was when one of the other knuckleheads in the room was saying it out loud and they were reading that verse, and maybe a little light bulb clicked on in your head. And suddenly, instead of being foolishness, this whole going to church all the time and believing in Jesus and trusting in him and everything and, and reading my Bible, I mean, what? All that stuff just suddenly went, I get it. I get why they do it. Because it's the power of God. I get it. I'm hoping that that might happen. If you, did, if you came in here today and that wasn't the case, I'm hoping that it is the case now. And I'm praying. I'm praying that the Spirit of God would open those eyes and you'll go, it is the power of God. I believe it. I believe it. I want it. And if that knucklehead up there can tell me about it and I can hear it and it makes sense, there's hope for me too. Whoever believes is not condemned. I'm going to go ahead and pray. And as I pray, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to dismiss you right away as soon as I'm done. But if you're sitting in this room and you're going, I believe it now. I don't know if I did before. Maybe I did. Maybe I, I don't. I don't even know. I don't. Even, see, you're knucklehead, so that's okay, right? I don't know, but I believe it now. It's the power of God. Come and tell me about it. I'd love to pray with you, encourage you, let you know there's hope for all of us fools on this world. That the power of God is great and magnificent. Heavenly Father, I do thank you, God, for this day, and I thank you, Lord, for the story of Christmas. Lord, I thank you that you came to this earth and you lived a life on this earth, and I thank you that you then made it all the way to the cross and didn't stop. You didn't come up short, but Lord, you went the whole distance, and you were crucified, taking the penalty, the just, righteous penalty of all of our shortcomings, our sins. And then, Lord, you rose from the grave. You did not stay dead. Lord, we celebrate that at Easter, but we mention it today because we know that baby that came in the manger is going to go the distance. We also believe that one day you're coming back. We're banking on the fact that these words that you have said are true, that whoever, and for many of us, Lord, I know for myself, I put a lot of stock in that whoever, that it really means whoever. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so Lord, we look forward to your return. It'll be different than the first time you came as a baby. The next time it will be in majesty and glory. We know from your word that you'll gather together all those of us who have said we believe and have put our faith in you. And you'll usher us in to eternal life. What a great God you are. Help us not to forget in a couple days when we're opening presents and sharing family time that this season represents so much more and that our eternities depend on the reality that you came. 
God, I pray now for those in this room that this is maybe real for the first time. God, I pray that you'd work in their hearts, stir within them to put all of their faith in it, all of their hope, their future, their integrity, their circumstances. I pray everything, Lord, that they would put everything into you, trusting in you as their Savior, the great Savior who was the Word that became flesh, the great Savior who came in humility, or the great Savior who was born miraculously, and the great Savior who came because God so loved the world. I pray now all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.